Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. The Lord has made known by His church the wisdom of God. He has made known by the church to all of the worldly powers. He has made known by the church the purpose He's worked through His Son. He has made known through the Spirit His plan from before the ages. And through the church all men shall know the wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. The Lord has made known by His church the wisdom of God. He has made known by the church to all of the worldly powers. He has made known by the church the purpose He's worked through His Son. He has made known through the Spirit His plan from before the ages. And through the church all men shall know the wisdom of God. For the past couple of Sundays, we've been looking in the mornings at what a temple is about. Kind of specifically, we've been looking at the place or the location of the temple. And in the evening services, what we've been looking at are, are the people that are involved with it. You know, think about that. In order for you to have a temple, you had to have people who constructed the temple. You also have to have those priests who are constantly in the temple just kind of carrying out the day-to-day -day business of it. Well, what I kind of started realizing as I was doing the, this series right here is the two are very closely connected. The two are very closely connected in Jesus Christ. We see the place and the people of the temple coming together. Let me show you what I mean. Let's start with this temple theme verse. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 8, 27, this is the verse that we've been going to every time, and this is when Solomon dedicates the temple that he built. He says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Now, it's very interesting that even from the very beginning, whenever they made the temple, they recognized that, yeah, it's kind of this symbol, and yes, there is a very real uh, idea that God dwelt within the temple. But he says, how much less this temple that I've built? You know, how is God really going to dwell in this temple that I've built? If, if creation itself isn't big enough, how is this temple possibly big enough? Well, this is kind of an idea that I want us to think about. And I want us to look at scriptures that kind of talk about that. You see, the early church, specifically with, uh, with a man by the name of Stephen, he was an early follower of Jesus Christ. And he proclaimed to the Jewish people something very amazing, something very similar to what Solomon proclaims right here. Now, Stephen does that in Acts chapter 7, so let's turn there together. In Acts 7, this is actually a defense of what Stephen is, is supposed to be giving because uh, he is on trial. He, he's on trial because they want to know, you know, what is with this preaching that, that you're doing in the name of Jesus? And there's been some accusations that have been brought up against him. And he is defending himself, but this is what he says about the temple. In Acts chapter 7, verses 44 through 47, Stephen says, Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. 
After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. So far, it's just kind of a little bit of a history lesson, tracing all the way back from the tabernacle and how it got into the temple. But then he says something amazing about the temple. Verses 48 through 50, Stephen continues. He says, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So now here within his defense, he says something very important that I've put here on, on the screen in bold and underlined. The Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. Now, that was specifically given as one of the main reasons behind the tabernacle, one of the main reasons behind the temple, is so God would be able to, to dwell among his people. But we need to understand that it's not like it's just some box that you can box God into. That's not what the temple was ever supposed to be. The Most High does not live in a house or a box that's made by human hands. He continues. He says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. See, Stephen is talking to people who should know better. They should know better because they've received the message from God himself. He calls them a stiff-necked people. They're people who, who should be able to, to hear the words of God. And they can maybe hear them with their ears, but they're not following them. That's what he, he says. He says that you've not obeyed them. And they had such a problem with this, this temple. And such a problem, they were kind of bringing up this accusation that he was speaking against the temple. And he says, look, the, the temple, it's this symbol. It's this this uh, this." sign that points forward to something greater that like to, to jesus christ is really the the point of what stephen is making right here and stephen knew something about the temple that his audience didn't see to them the temple was very holy very sacred very 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 important and in fact to the early church who you know they started off being jews of course uh, they regularly attended the temple in fact but yet they recognized that the time and the importance of the temple, it was fading away because you don't, you don't have the same need any longer whenever Jesus Christ set foot on this earth. Now, Stephen's not the only one in the early church who says this. See, Paul is later going to proclaim pretty much the same thing. Now, Stephen did it to the Jews. Paul is going to proclaim it to Gentiles. Let's fast forward now to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, Paul right here, he's actually speaking before a group. This is that, uh, that passage where he's traveling throughout their town and he sees uh, this, this altar that uh, has this inscription to the unknown God. And he says, look, let me tell you about this unknown God. This God you don't know about, let me tell you. And this is what he says about him, among other things, of course. Acts 17, verses 24 and 25. Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human, built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. 
Isn't that a wonderful you know, idea behind who our God is and how great our God is? Paul recognized this and he tells them, he says, this God who is capable of creating and sustaining all life everywhere, he doesn't need to live in some temple that's built by you or by me. That's not the God we serve. He also doesn't have to be served by us, like what verse 25 says. It's not like he needs something. He doesn't need us to, to serve him so that that way he can continue on. No, he can continue because he is the I am. He's going to be the I am whether you or I help him out in any way whatsoever. He is the one who gives everyone life. He is the one who gives everyone breath. And he's also the one who gives everything else to everyone else. So now as, as we look at this and, you know, Stephen said that God doesn't really uh, have to dwell in a temple and then... Paul says he does not live in temples made by human hands. So if God does not live in temples, then what does it look like to have him among us? To, to have him, you know, in our midst? To that, we look at the person of Jesus Christ. And let's look at John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, this is the, the famous account where, where Jesus goes into the temple and he's upset by what he sees. And he starts turning over the, uh, the tables there. And John records it like this, John 2, 16 through 22. To those who sold doves, Jesus said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you were going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. So in John 2, when Jesus is going into the temple and he's upset by what he sees, and he's really overturning what they're doing right there, they want to know a question. They, they want to know the answer to this question. In verse 18, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? He comes in, he has a problem with the temple. They say, who are you? What authority do you have? You know, when we look at Jesus, it, it's kind of, you know, very interesting because we can look at him and, and they could have easily, you know, the Jews could have looked at him and said, well, look, you're not the high priest. You, you're not even from the tribe of Levi. You know, he's from a separate tribe. So who is he to step in to what the temple business is all about? What authority did Jesus have? Well, Jesus just tells him, he says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And we recognize as Christians, and John you know, specifically tells us, just in case we didn't piece these things together on our own, he says the temple that Jesus was speaking about was his own body. And we see that three days after his body was destroyed, he raised it up again. See, Jesus' authority, it comes from the Father. He has true power. And his body, Jesus' body, it is the temple. That's what it says in verse 21. Now, it's also important for us to recognize that, uh, that, that in the temple, you know, we also see that forgiveness of sins was offered there. I mean, that's where you went in order to encounter forgiveness of sins. So we start to see that in Jesus Christ, that the place and the people or at least the place and a person in Jesus Christ is starting to be combined together. In fact, that's going to be combined even more so in the next story that we look at. 
Keep in mind, the temple was where you went to receive forgiveness of sins. But with Jesus, it was different. Mark chapter 2 this time. In Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 12, this is that, that story that uh, whenever uh, we see this man who couldn't walk, he has his, uh, his four friends come and they, they cut out a hole in the roof and they lower him down so that that way Jesus could be uh, right there with him or he could be with Jesus rather. Well, Mark 2, 5 through 12, listen to this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So this story, we see that typically the temple was where you went. It was the place that you went whenever you needed to receive forgiveness of sins. I mean, that was even set up by God, okay? So I'm not saying that the temple is a bad thing. It was a good thing. It was an important thing, but it was a temporary thing. Here, that's why they ask this question. You know, he says, sons, your sins are forgiven in verse five to us. Okay. That's Jesus forgiving sins. We get it to them. They think the temple is the only place that you can receive this forgiveness. How can this person claim such thing? Um, well, we're once again seeing that with the temple, the place and the people of it, or a place and a person of it is being combined together in Jesus Christ. They want to know this question, who can forgive sins, but God alone. Jesus Christ could. Well, Jesus Christ could because he was God. We see that in Jesus, this is where forgiveness of sins takes place. It's no longer at some physical location, at some temple. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And the early church understood this. And let, let's hear from some other uh, early Christians. Let, let's hear from the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, Listen to how they speak of not just about Jesus, but also Christians. See, we're brought into this, this combination of the temple of being a place and the people being combined. We are that people because we are the church. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Once again, the temple, it consists of a place and a people. It consists of Christians. That's why we see this language in verse 5, that Christians are compared to these living stones, but then they're also compared to the, this holy priesthood that they are called to be, that we are called to be. Peter is combining these two thoughts together. And he combines these two thoughts together because Jesus taught him to do that. Jesus teaches us to do that same thing as well. And it's not just Peter who is doing that. See, Paul also is saying the same types of things. Let's look at one of his letters. In the, his letter to the book, uh, I'm sorry, his letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter two. 
Let's look at verses 19 through 22. Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too were being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see this combination. Everything about what the temple stood for and every reason why people would go to the temple. It all comes down to what we as the church are through Jesus Christ. He says in verse 21, talking about Christians, that they are to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in verse 22, he talks about becoming this dwelling in which God can live by his spirit. God, through his spirit, lives within the church. You know, in, in fact, this type of message is is what Peter proclaimed at the very beginning of the church. Do you remember whenever Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? He preached at the temple. Okay, that's the location of like where this was and everything. But yet what we see is his message was that the people are to become the temple. We see this combination of those two. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 and read that together. In Acts 2, verses 37 through 39, a very famous passage for many of us. It's probably one of my favorite verses right here in, in verse 38. But, you know, really this whole passage, it's wonderful because this is where the church starts. Peter is preaching. And among his preaching, after he's told them about Jesus Christ and that they've crucified him, then they want to know this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You see what, what Peter's doing. Now, we oftentimes don't really talk about this or think about this as temple language. But you know, he says that, look, what you need to do is, verse 38, you need to repent, you need to change. You need to be baptized. And it's all connected with this authority of Jesus Christ. And whenever we do these things and whenever we are following Jesus, we can receive this forgiveness of sins. Keep in mind, that is a big thing about what the temple was supposed to be about. You know, the temple was God's dwelling place, but it was also where forgiveness of sins happened. Well, we see both of those showing up. In 38, we see that forgiveness of sins is being mentioned. But then he also says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that gift of the Holy Spirit is actually the Holy Spirit within us, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as we might call it. See, Jesus, he brings these two things together. The church is the dwelling place of God. The church is also where forgiveness takes place. You know, we can't find forgiveness outside of Jesus Christ. And whenever we follow Jesus Christ, we become a part or a member of this church. The temple, as far as a place goes, it's no longer much of our concern today. The temple, yes, there was something to do with the place. And there's something to do with the people that have been involved with it for, you know, thousands of years. But in Jesus Christ, we see a place and a people being brought together in the church. We are this building. We are this temple of God. We are 
the people who have been forgiven by God. Let's make sure that we continue to serve him. Let's make sure that we continue to proclaim this message that in Jesus Christ, we see God in the flesh. We see him dwelling among us and we can receive forgiveness of sins.